Welcome to Watch This Space, the podcast about future of work. Every month we bring you insider perspectives on how digital transformation, emerging tech, and generational change are shaping the future of work. We are two analog guys finding the groove for all of this in today's digital world. I am John Arnold, and these trends are my focus as an independent tech analyst in my company, J. Arnold and Associates. And I'm Chris Fine. I'm an independent consultant and strategist specializing in workplace technology, IoT, and security. My company is Integrative Technologies. Hi, everybody. Hi, John. How are you? Doing fine. Doing fine, Chris. Good to be back with you, and you're doing okay in the wilds of New Jersey? Yes, all good here in the wilds. Yeah, well, it's, it's getting a little wild here in Toronto. Um, it's Spring is starting to happen now. The tulips, the trees are budding, and we're going to have a lot of vegetation over the next few weeks. So that's a promising sign, but uh, never speak too soon. We did have slushy snow two days ago, so you never know. It's still cold enough for winter weather, believe it or not. Yeah, we had a cold wave too. Um, we didn't get snow right here, but... It wasn't too far away. We got a lot of rain and just cold temperatures, but it seems to be warming up now, so we can be optimistic. But as you say, you just never know, probably until later in the season. Yeah, this will pass. This will pass. But we are here on schedule for another uh, episode, and we are moving along here in 2022. And I say that in a good way because. You know, over our recent podcasts, I've mentioned that, you know, uh, we've had a little bit more travel happening. Uh, there's a higher comfort level now with people not just going to conferences, but of course going back to work. Whether they actually go back to work in the office is another question. I know that's the hybrid work story we're following pretty closely. But yeah, since our last podcast, Chris, I was at Enterprise Connect in Orlando. And since then, I was at the Channel Partners Conference in Las Vegas. So those are two big ones. And, you know, taken together, those, it's a pretty positive sign for people's willingness and ableness to go out in person again. It doesn't take long for people to start to really kind of get into the groove of being face-to-face. And... You know, listen, when you've been living in a cave for three-ish years, you, you kind of forget, right? But it comes back pretty quick. Sure. So was there was there good traffic at Enterprise Connect? And I, you had your own program, if I remember. So what did you take away? Yeah. So the, the, the attendance was lower than normal, for sure. Some people think it was a half or maybe a third. I don't know what the numbers were, but Enterprise Connect, if you don't know folks, I, could, I call it the Super Bowl event of the communications tech space. It's always been the biggest, most important gathering. It's where the tier one vendors tend to make their big announcements, um, often unexpectedly, but the key is that all the big names are there. If you'd never been to the show, you would think it was a big show as it is. And it was. The show floor was big. It was, you know, lots of traffic. I think there was enough comfort level from those who came to say, you know what, it's fairly safe. You know, we can do this now. So the next time around, next March, uh, Enterprise Connect should be back to its fuller size. 
in a way it was good that it wasn't super packed because you, you didn't feel like you were crushed up against people all the time, right? There was plenty of space for people to do things, but the critical mass was definitely there. And more importantly, the vibe and the energy was really strong. And it's that kind of family reunion feeling you get when pe you just haven't seen people, right? And you, we, we, we've seen each other on Zoom all day long, but nothing beats being in person, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is a question that comes to my mind about all of this, and I wonder what you were thinking. We've made so many advances in communications over the last really short number of years to where all the stuff that we would go to a conference like this five years ago or whatever, even as recently as that, and say everybody is going to have video, full high-def video conferencing and screen sharing and this cutting edge technology, no matter where they are and any computer that you have and any broadband connection you have, for the most part, it's likely going to be able to support it. It's going to get better than it was back then, cheaper. So where's the frontier right now? Like what's coming? What do you think is next? I think this, the, the video habit is pretty ingrained right now, right? I think we're still very... In a weird way, it's, it, this is, there's been this shift away from before Zoom took over everything, we made phone calls, more or less, for quick communication. Now it's like video seems to be the default for everyday stuff. And you don't need video to do everything, of course. We've talked about that before. But now um, the big takeaway to me from Enterprise Connect is that nobody really knows Nobody's in charge when it comes to figuring out hybrid work. Everybody is struggling with what to do and how to do it. And I think that was a big driver of people's curiosity because we've been talking about enterprise, sorry, uh, hybrid work and living hybrid work for a couple of years now. But the last time Enterprise Connect was in person was pre-pandemic. So the concept didn't even exist. So this is the first time we've actually been able to gather in person to talk about it. And that's not surprisingly, that's probably what most of people only wanted to talk about because they're all struggling with it. So nobody really has a clear answer. And it's just, you know, talking to people, hallway talks, going to sessions, they're all just trying to figuring it out as they go. So it's, it's, I don't think we can really kind of conclude at the moment that hybrid work is a success uh, or it's going to peter out or companies are going to lose patience with trying to keep people productive. I, it just seems like, Chris, it's going to be this kind of mixed bag of things people will try and they'll discard what doesn't work and they'll pick up stuff that does work. And so I don't know if we're any further ahead at the moment of knowing what hybrid work is really going to be. Well, did you see anything on the technology side or the vendor side that you thought was notable? Like, was there anything innovative that kind of suggested an augmented or better version of of what we have well the vendors are all touting these complete solutions that are tailored to support the new world of hybrid work you know they they've they've been going down this road a while now so they're if you just went in with your eyes half open it would sound like the vendors have got it all figured out because these solutions sound like they check every box, every anticipating every problem and challenge you're going to have. But I think the reality for both the channels, 
who are trying to sell this stuff and the buyers who are trying to deploy it, the onus is really on them, right, to take this, you know, supply side equation of what hybrid work is supposed to be and actually bringing it out to the marketplace and seeing what actually happens. Um, I would have liked to have seen more at Enterprise Connect, maybe discussion from I don't know, the HR side of things, uh, you know, certainly issues around wellness and helping people adapt. There are technology solutions that are built for these kind of things, but I think these are just more human level issues about what the implications of hybrid work need to be. There wasn't any discussion about, well, should we move to a four day week? Should we pay employees less because they don't have to commute anymore? Uh, do we have to, you know, put new new uh, policies in place for vacation time and overtime and, you know, the, the, the nuts and bolts of what it really means. This conference really isn't built for that and these kind of technologies are not. We're going to touch on some of this in June. If you, as you know, uh, I chair the Future of Work event in part of the IT Expo. That's a different kind of focus though. Um, but at this event, I didn't, it, you know, the technologies, as you're asking, Chris, are there from almost all the vendors. They all have some flavor of what hybrid work could look like with the technologies. But the realities of deploying it and making it come to life, you know, that's kind of out of their hands. And uh, maybe that's a missing piece of the ecosystem that will emerge for the next Enterprise Connect. Oh, it could be. It could be. I, I mean, I, I'm much less tuned into that particular vendor world than you are. But my, what I have been able to see in my interactions is that I think my, a lot of stuff is incremental right now because nobody really knows. But I'm kind of waiting for the next generation of what Zoom was, uh, whether it's an existing vendor, whether it's somebody new, because I do think there, there are opportunities to make the technology a lot better. And I actually think the focus of those opportunities is really the workplace, right? Where I just really don't see a lot of evolution and I see a lot of uncertainty in the way workplaces are laid out and the way the content of work is thought about when you're not always in the same place and all this kind of stuff. So it's just gonna be interesting to watch this space as they say. There's certainly a lot of great tools emerging to make this happen but uh, not there yet. And there's a lot of uncertainty, as you say. Yeah, and when you get to this idea of like, what could the next iteration look like? So that, that kind of takes us into that whole metaverse discussion, which was another you know big talking point. And I talked a little bit about that in my session at Enterprise Connect. And it's, you know, it's, it's where the vendors like Zoom and certainly Microsoft and, and even Cisco, where, where they want to take things and push us into this more virtual world as the way to do everything. Our generation, Chris, isn't really wired for this stuff, but our kids, the digital natives, this is going to be a very, this is going to feel very natural to a lot of these people as it gets a little further along. And that's another watch this space thing, but this whole, you know, the, the gaming world, and we've talked about this as well, but the, you know, the technologies, as you were mentioning, are getting better and better 
to the point where they can support and create these virtual environments and interactions that even though a lot of it's avatar based but not all of it it will start to feel kind of comfortable and natural the more you do it and the virtual setting will eventually start to you know become a destination for doing things you know doing sales meetings um, you know meeting with like global you know managers and and even just regular everyday teams that is you know that's closer than we think and I, I don't really know how to put a put a label on it but it's clearly a direction a lot of these guys are going and where it becomes more interesting it's not just the technology but the companies that are driving it and this means that you know what the, the Facebook slash metas of the world the social media platform companies are in a position to play an even bigger role in what future work might start to look like because they are really good at creating these virtual environments and as we become so connected to them in our consumer lives it becomes a smaller and smaller leap to think about how can we do this in the workplace too because we're comfortable with these tools we trust them and they seem to resonate with a lot of people I'm not sure I'm not sure I agree with the fact that it would with the idea that it would be social media companies but I think it could be technology that was derived from that I, I think most people in there, I guess it's, I mean, I don't know, but it would seem that certainly from an enterprise standpoint in the work interaction world, that there are some requirements and things that in a lot of industries where these platforms are not necessarily going to follow them, but there could be an industrial kind of version of some of the same thinking that I think could happen. You know, you could see some of the companies like Cisco and Microsoft and others, uh, Zoom, Slack, that have been in this kind of field, expand more into what you're saying and incorporate more of these elements. I, I could definitely see that. Yeah, and I do think that there will be versions of this in, in vertical markets where you need, there are just certain requirements that you just have to have expertise in. And one good example of this, again, companies that are outside the norm that you talk about, for example, in healthcare, um, a, a newer area that I'm doing some work in right now is, is in the uh, you know EHR uh, space where you've got big, big players who are kind of driving digital transformation. And in that space, You've got um, Oracle, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, all jockeying to be very big players in enabling this kind of new way of doing things. And virtual models are going to come into this space at some point for sure, because they're all looking for ways to just more efficiently do things. And, and in this case, rather than dealing with customers, dealing with patients, but there's plenty of room for these innovations to take hold and I, th I think we will see big players in certain verticals that just have a certain level of expertise and a lot of it ties into like back-end platforms in the case here of EHRs that have all the data that is kind of needed to to do the workflows of providing healthcare. 
Um, I just think we're on the edge of a lot of these things starting to take shape. So when you talk about EHR, you mean electronic health records? Is that yes. what it stands for? Yes. Okay. So digitizing everything that we've done manually over the past, you know, sectors like this and, you know, the legal sector have been very analog and paper-based, right, for so long. And so they have big transitions to make. And, uh, well, you know, I, I, I could see specialty players emerging in well, each it, of these. I agree with you. And I'm thinking that I see that a lot in the startup mentoring that I do, um, because when they come to the table with the pitch, it's uh, very often pick market X. The structure of the market is inefficient. You know, it, it, it's, it's old fashioned, it's disconnected, it's fragmented, and we're going to fix that. And so it's all, you know, the same, the Uber story, right? Or the you could name all these other companies where you picked a market where, for better or worse, you were just going to flatten it, right? You were going to make it more efficient. And there's usually some wrinkle in the nature of the market that means that you can do something that's that's kind of specialized for that market and still have a large total addressable market. So it's a story that a lot of companies are working on. But I think there's also some of that true in the world of workplace technology, as Zoom demonstrated. I'm not sure it's all going to be the metaverse yet. I think there's so much you could do just to say, hey, the way our offices are laid out right now is dumb. The way we manage space is probably inefficient. The way we manage the environment and sustainability probably could improve. And the, the facilities and the inter interconnectedness that we provide for our people doing work and processes that are all over the place could be better. And mm -hmm. so I see a stage where potentially there's just a lot you could do with that before you go all virtual, you know? Yeah, and I, I find it interesting too with so much buzz around the metaverse term, and it really is the, I think it's the term du jour right now. Um, I find it interesting that all this interest is coming at exactly the time when the pandemic is subsiding and people actually want to be in person going back to conferences and there's going to be an element who really do want to go back to the office if anything just to get out of their <laughs> their their home environments that they're so sick of being in 24 7 and of course just you know being back in the office to, to work some people still will want to do that so I just find it, you know, interesting that the technology might be pretty good. It's got a long way to go, but you know, you're you're kind of making a lot of noise at probably exactly the the worst time possible when people are thinking, no, I don't. I've, I'm sick of being on Zoom calls all day. If I can go back to work, I want to go because I got to get out of the house. So there are those kind of like juxtapositions of bumping up against each other of reality and what the technology is promising. Well, at the risk of putting out a non-standard idea, I, but we're supposed to be watching this space, I've come to believe that a lot of the factors with return to work have nothing to do with work. They have to do with, because I think, I think that most people at least, and I, you know, you can't justify, it depends obviously, as we always say, we usually think about certain segments and there are many that we should be thinking about or not including or trying to generalize around. So we understand that. But for kind of the broad 
what you used to call kind of white collar work, a lot of it has to do with just the sort of structural conditions in in terms of commuting and issues like that, which make it not so frictionless for people to just come in and out of work. And I think, so there are those issues that are not technical issues. They're not work company kind of issues that have to do with this too. So it's a big, it's a big bunch of things that are going to evolve and um, it's going to be interesting to watch it and see what happens and see what companies and employees do to try to make it better and kind of find the right happy medium, you know? I, I agree. And uh, this is, uh, as we know, it's a pretty, pretty rich topic. Lots to, um, lots of angles and they're going to keep changing too. Um, before we kind of run on time, Chris, I did want to just spend a minute or two on the Channel Partners event because sure. it kind of plays off of uh, the, the theme about going, you know, getting not so much back to work, but back in person. And unlike Enterprise Connect, this is a show that has already been back in person last year. So unlike Enterprise Connect that's been dry for a couple of years, they've already had a bit more momentum about coming back in person and being a little later with the pandemic subsiding and the comfort level rising. So their turnout was they, they claimed over and over record record numbers of exhibitors, of attendees, and that show really did have, as much as Enterprise Connect was a good experience and I no problems there, this was, you know, like another order of magnitude in terms of scale and no discomfort uh, there uh, in terms of concerns. You know, they have all the protocols to be safe and everything, but um, you could just feel it. You just people were really keen to be out there and doing things and the turnout was really, really good. So they've certainly, their timing was good to come back to in person. But um, I did want to say just quickly, one of the big, the theme I took away from that show was the overarching kind of concern that that space has become a big target now for the private equity uh, crowd. And uh, they had more than one session with PE folks on panels talking about why they're attracted to this space. And we've, been, we've talked about this off and on with some of the roll-ups that have been going on. And it's inevitable, every industry, every tech sector goes through this. But it's really interesting to see that you know, a lot of the channel community, I mentioned that earlier, Chris, about the channels are the ones who have to sell this stuff. So Cisco and Microsoft and Zoom and Ring and Vonage, they're all making great products. But at the end of the day, the channel guys have to sell it. And channel market, you talked about fragmented earlier. You know, it's, it's still a very dispersed space. There's a few big top dogs for sure, the master agents, etc. But... Um, you know, a lot of small operators in this space still, agents and VARs and, you know, sub-agents and stuff. And these are people who have been, you know, independent sales organizations for a long time. Um, but it's like in, I guess, from a capital point of view, it's inefficient. And the PE guys see this as the right time to be doing this consolidation and trying to buy out a lot of these companies you know, much like we're seeing the SPACs coming into this space as well, right? Just raising money and then, you know, buying or starting new businesses that are meant to kind of disrupt and reorganize and reinvent spaces. It's coming now to the channel community. 
And it, it's attractive on some levels, but it's kind of scary on a few others. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a foundational question here, just to make sure we're all on the same page, channel being basically the wholesalers and the, the way that a lot of enterprise gear is sold is not directly through the sales forces of the vendors, except for the big customers. It comes through the middle and smaller customers largely come through indirect. They come through resellers, wholesalers, value added this and that, right? It's what we're talking about with the channel. Yeah. Great. Yeah, glad we're clarifying that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't. I shouldn't assume everyone knows all this stuff. So I'm glad we're we're, we're covering that. So my yeah. comment is that's a capital intensive business. You got to hold inventory. It's really hard to build market share organically once you get to a certain point. It is very fragmented. So roll up is completely in line with that space. Feels like it. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the big shift is, has been cloud. So. Now that the agent community has kind of had to adopt the MRR model, which is monthly recurring revenue. So the, yes, yeah, selling the hardware stuff that has been the backbone of this industry forever is going away. And so there's less need to have that inventory to carry, but they still need it. And interesting sidebar, Chris, with supply chain issues, believe it or not, it's impacting the communication space. And another kind of storyline was that a lot of these guys, to get phones working and routers working for their customers, they can't get chips. And so they're literally, you know, this is where the gray market comes into play because now you're looking for old decommissioned phones or stuff that's been sitting unused for years in offices with COVID, scavenging basically for parts um, because you can't get them. So that's an interesting kind of fallout that, you know, supply chain affects every industry differently, but this is one where the hardware pieces definitely get hit. So it's a test to your uh, creativity <laughs> and entrepreneurial uh, spirit to figure No, out it's true. It's yeah. true, but you know, there's also two aspects to that, right? Because I've, I'm seeing that all over the place too in whatever I'm covering. So scale really matters. So again, the roll up, right? Because if you call a vendor, if you call, let's say, a chip manufacturer or something, and you place an order for a hundred thousand chips, or you, you, you call a man, you know, a, a device maker, and you say, "I want a hundred thousand of these," uh, and you, then you can sell them through because you have that big a customer base. That's a very different ask from calling them and saying, "I need five hundred, You know. Yeah. And sure. then the 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 other part of that is that with what you say about as a service, which is really growing as opposed to just having the customer own everything from a financial perspective, you have to keep that on your books. Somehow somebody has to keep it on their books. Right. And mm -hmm. that's another thing where you need financial clout. So you can see it becoming more of a financial play, right? It's like a fleet of trucks where you're what? providing the trucking services, but you, somebody has got to own the trucks. For sure. And, and this is where it gets interesting to me because the MRR model it, to, to me is basically it creates a new an annuity. And I think why the PE guys are coming in now is that they've seen the this model tested and proven to their satisfaction. Because in other words, channels resisted this model earlier because they like getting the big payoffs from payouts from selling hardware that's expensive, it's capitalized. Now they're just selling monthly subscriptions and licenses and seats. It's not as lucrative upfront financially, so they're 
creating a new business model where it's just basically a revenue stream that sustains the business. The good news is once you're good at selling these, other revenue streams can be added from other cloud services and that's the opportunity that everyone is seeing in this space, getting beyond just selling telephony. But for the PE guys, Chris, I would have to think this is a risk reduction approach because now they see the MRR model works. And if you just think of this business now as more like being like an insurance business, you're buying cash flows, right? You're buying annuity streams from customers who sign up for these monthly services. That takes a lot of the risk away for them to generate a return on their investment, right? Yeah, for sure. But you do need to be able to have the resources to run that. Right. And this is the risk that they may not have fully factored in because these guys still have to sell and support the business, get new customers, launch, you know, add new services to grow the revenues. And once you become acquired, you know, you lose your independence and you're going to, you might lose a little of your edge, you know, and you're staying hungry all the time and driving for new sales because it's such a competitive business. I don't, you know, it remains to be seen, but clearly that's where the money is going right now. And so many of these companies are going to get swallowed up or will sell out or will merge and create these bigger players where it's going to be all about efficiencies. And we kind of know how that game gets played out. And, you know, you're, you're, it's another sign of the space maturing. But there's also, of course, we're going to lose some things along the way that entrepreneurial spirit and possibly, you know, innovation, which is what drives growth and brings the next wave of competitors in. Right. We've seen this before, right, with all telecom and every industry goes through it. But interesting to see this is an inflection point. And my takeaway for the event is I find it interesting and kind of ironic that this is a gamble, right? PE guys are betting big on the time being right for this. You know, and where is the Channel Partners event held? Las Vegas, right, of all places. You know, Perfect. What biggest, what bigger sign can you see to say, okay, Here's what, come on into the casino, guys. It's open. Hey, one last thing. I know we're running a little over, but do you have like a quick commentary on the HP Polycom deal? Or a poly, I should say? Well, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Chris. So, yeah, this was a big surprise because Poly was quite active and visible at the Enterprise Connect show. And they were, I think they were pretty busy, too, at Channel Partners. Um, but at Enterprise Connect, you know, I mean, they spent a lot of time with analysts. They took good care of us and everything. Nobody said a word. So HP, I give them credit for not disrupting the Apple card and dropping this bombshell during the event. Because HP does not go to this event. This is why it was a little outside the box for a lot of people to say, HP? They're not even in this space. Why are they buying Poly? At least they had the good sense to save the announcement until just after Enterprise Connect. They could have done it at the show, but that would have created a lot of questions and disruptions. So I thought that was good. And Polly was well behaved. You know, they didn't tip their hand at all during the show because they knew it was going on at that point. So, but yeah, the fallout is, okay, well, HPE seems in that family of companies to be the logical company that would take this play. But you know, each has its own reasons, but um, I've just found it interesting that a networking company, which is more close, closer to where this stuff gets run than a company that is really good at making printers and, you know, laptops, but 
this is a, we're talking about telephony and video endpoints here. Well, see, it makes sense to me more because I think it's an endpoint device, right? So HP is really, for the most part, endpoint devices. If you, you see, so HPE is more infrastructure, server mm -hmm. storage, networking, security, etc. Um, and there's a category of enterprise technology where it's it is more endpoint devices, and HP makes a lot of the. HP and Dell and a couple of other vendors make a lot of the things that go on people's desks. And so, you know, you could, it's actually enterprise, but it's not enterprise infrastructure. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, on one level, to me, it's a little bit like Microsoft. They're a trusted consumer brand as much as they are a trusted business brand. So I suppose there's some synergy there because we you know, I've got an HP laptop. I've had great history with them, no problems. And the printers are the gold standard. So everybody knows that. So I suppose that might give the channel some comfort level that, you know, they're getting one vendor who can supply virtually every endpoint the business needs. Okay, I could rationalize that. But boy, that's a tough business um, selling phones because you have to remember too, you know, Poly has always been like, much like HP, the gold standard for desk phones and conference devices right all that good stuff but boy they're they're in a tough competitive market especially with you know i i don't want to narrow things down but a lot of the chinese vendors like yay link and yay star who can heavily undercut them on price and build um build and buy market share so they're in a tough business because you know hard, hardware is getting they're not selling giant expensive capitalized things here, right? These are relatively inexpensive devices. Some of the video stuff is expensive, of course, but you know, these aren't the biggest expenditures businesses are making, but they got to buy a lot of endpoints. So I understand that, but it's a tough, it's, it's another volume based business. Yeah. Yeah. I also wonder what intellectual property might've been involved because Polly has always been pretty innovative in that area but we'll see maybe we can talk about that more next time yeah yeah i think i think so so many you know good questions <laughs> lots to talk about for sure yes listeners i know we ran over our time this time hope you'll bear with us sometimes we do we get wrapped up in things or it's a busy month right john exactly yep and more busyness to come so uh stick around folks but yeah we will uh exit now so we're at end of time for today so we'll thank you for sticking with us today that watch this space we hope you enjoy our podcast and that you'll continue with us as we explore the future of work you can access all of our episodes on www.watchthisspace.tech or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts and we'd love it if you did that and of course if you like our episodes leave us a comment We'd love to hear your suggestions for future episodes, always. And with that, uh, it's time to sign off. So I am John Arnold. And I'm Chris Fine. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, John. Great to talk with you, as always. And we'll be back with you next month on Watch This Space.